As we prepare to hear the message, let's say together a prayer as we read from the Word. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the Scriptures are read and your Word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. A reading from Mark 1, 29-39. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening, after sunset, the people brought Jesus to all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, thank you, Bob and worship team for leading us well this morning. We are so grateful to be able to meet in this fashion. Uh, we have just heard the Word of God, but before we hear from myself, I wonder if you would take a moment to pray. Recognizing that this particular season of life has been difficult and challenging for many of us, um, we are carrying uh, different burdens, I'm sure, different uh, challenges that we all are facing in this season. And yet, as our scripture will help us to see, that prayer is vital to living well in difficult times. And so this morning, I want to just invite you to take a moment to think about that burden that you're carrying, that challenge that is before you. And to consider that this is an opportunity, an invitation for us to put our faith and trust in the one who says, cast all your cares on me. Cast all your burdens on me, for I will take care of them for you. Uh, what is it today that the Lord needs to carry on your behalf? What it is it this morning that feels heavy in your life? What is it that you need the Lord's help for? Whatever it is, no matter how heavy, how challenging, how discouraging, God is enough. Jesus is sufficient. Uh, let us pray together. Father God, I thank you for the hope we have in you. We are a people of faith. That means we are a peculiar people in this world. We are a people that trust, despite all that may seem and is wrong in our world, that there is hope because of Jesus Christ and what he has done and made possible. We are a people of a hope that runs deeper than the circumstances we face or the pandemic that we're in.
We're a people of trust to today again, as we gather, express to you our deep confidence in the God who from beginning to end has promised that he will make all things new. I pray that by your Spirit, you would minister your hope, the hope that comes from your Word to each and every person that is listening and each and every person that is seated here, that is in this worship space, that is leading us in worship and helping us with tech, to every person that is a part of our community of faith, and even as, thanks to the virtual reality of streaming online, those who don't know us, we ask, Lord, I ask that your Spirit would speak words of hope and assurance that runs deep in our circumstances, no matter what they are. May we hear today that Jesus Christ is able to do immeasurably more than we think or even dare to ask. May we believe today that you have not abandoned your church, your people, or your world, but your plan, your purpose, your covenant is to redeem and restore. And so we as a people of faith and hope place our confidence in your word. Your word that says you will never leave us. Your word that says you will never forsake your promises. Your word upon which we build our lives. In Christ we pray. Amen. Jesus comes to bring good news in Mark's gospel. In fact, in the beginning of the gospel, he announces that the kingdom has come near and he says, repent and believe the good news. I think before we jump into our text, it's important that we just pause for a moment to think about this good news that Jesus brings. He says that the good news is that the kingdom has come near, that God has acted in some way to fulfill that which is always planned to do from the beginning to the present that he would be a God that would be with his people, to be in fellowship with his people, to renew his people so that his people and all people may know their God and live to his glory. The kingdom of God comes near because God chooses to be near to this world. <laughs> the kingdom of God comes near because God cares about creation. Uh, the Bible begins in Genesis 1 with the God that creates, and it culminates in Revelation at the end with a God that renews and restores all creation. God has not abandoned his plan to redeem and to restore and to renew and to bring hope. And we have here in this particular text uh, clear evidence that God's plan is still being carried forward. But before we, we talk about that, I think it's helpful to look back. When God created, he created and he said that it was good, but the fall happened. Uh, we chose a different way. And so sin enters the world and, and sin and evil corrupts almost every aspect of it. Creation groans. We groan. 
we see that the fall separates us from the intended plan of God. And, and there's fascinating stories in the Bible that talks about God's commitment and the unwillingness of creation, especially his pinnacle creation, mankind to kind of reconcile themselves with his plan. But instead of abandoning his plan to renew and to restore, God calls a people by calling Abraham. And he decides that he's going to call a people unto himself who would reflect his hope for creation. In fact, in the calling of Abraham in Genesis chapter 18, God makes it clear that those whom he calls, he calls to live in his ways so that they would reflect who he is to a world so that the world through them might see God and be blessed and renewed and restored to God. And so we have a God who is committed to his plan. And, and, and just like God would liberate the Hebrew people from enslavement, Jesus shows up to liberate all humanity from enslavement to sin. Jesus comes to, to bring about God's plan by renewing what God had always been doing, by liberating us from that which keeps us from participating in the renewing, redeeming work of God. Just like Israel needed to be liberated in order to fulfill what God had promised to Abraham, Jesus comes to liberate us from anything that holds us back so that we might participate in the work to which God has called us and the hope that he has has for all creation. The kingdom has come near through Christ because God has not abandoned his plan. And through Jesus, he invites us to stand along with him in the work that he has called us to. Uh, we are invited into not just a salvation from sin, that is morality and, and immorality and issues, but we are invited to, to repent from anything that holds us back from living into the destiny, the mission, the hope of God for this world. Uh, one of the authors that I love, Christopher Wright, he says it is not so much the case that God has a mission for his church in the world as that God has a church for his mission in the world. Mission was not made for the church. We were made for God's mission and purpose. And when Christ arrives, he invites us to embrace. When he calls those 12 disciples, think about it this way, he is calling Israel back back to their God-given destiny, and he is calling all men back to participate in such hopeful work. Amen. <laughs> but in order to participate, Jesus says in the opening of Mark that we must repent and believe the good news. We must do this act of repentance uh, that is also rooted in faith and trust. Uh, the, the original word there, repent, has a, has, has a deep meaning. It is not just simply to have a mental change in how we access or think about God and the world, but it means to, to reorient the direction that your life is going into. 
uh, to repent is a drastic alteration, if you will, a course correct, if you will. Uh, let me put it to you this way. We cannot apprehend the purpose of God or the hope of God's kingdom when we are walking uh, away from it. We, we, we have to orient our lives towards Jesus Christ so that we may be able to see the great purposes of God. So anything in our lives that keeps us walking away from Jesus, keeps us walking away from the mission that God has for us, keeps us walking away from the great plan of God's redemptive, renewing hope. This invitation is for each one of us. And this morning, I want to say to you that repentance is the grace of God extended through Christ for those who desire to live for the great plan and mission of God. It is the, the hope that God has for any one of us that have perhaps settled for a smaller life, a, a narrower view of what God is doing. Some of us have grown up in traditions that has reinforced one particular view of salvation. As important as it is, it is not all there is to salvation. God is not just interested in saving our souls. He is interested in saving all men, all creation, so that everything may give glory to Him. Our salvation is important, but the salvation that God wants to wrought in all of creation is that everything, everything that has breath may give praise to God. We repent this morning as a church from all the things that we live into, all the values that supplants the hope and the calling of God. We must repent from anything in our lives that keeps us from looking to Jesus and saying yes to his invitation to come and to follow him in the ways of God. But not only does Jesus say we must repent, he says we must believe, we must trust we must put our faith in him. And to put your faith in Jesus Christ, to put our faith in him, is to trust that that which God said he would do, he is doing. It is to believe that at the end of all things, God wins, that the world is renewed, that we are a part of the plan, and that hope will be the lasting posture and characteristic of those who are in Christ. To trust God is to place our lives at His calling, is to say yes to His leading. Uh, to believe, uh, I think, can easily become just what many of us perhaps have thought it to mean, is that we say a few words, but to believe is to live. To live in a particular way that brings attention to the God that is at work. That puts our life in His hands. And that participates in His work. Uh, but what does this have to do with our text? Uh, Mark, it seems, in the opening chapter goes at... Uh, at a pace that is just breathtaking. He goes from one thing to the other. <laughs> Jesus is calling, he's preaching in the synagogue, he's casting out demons, and then he ends up in the home of Simon's mother-in-law. We, we, we get a glimpse of what this kingdom is like in Mark's gospel, and the rest of the gospel perhaps unpacks for us what it means to repent and believe the good news. It's a good way to think of the gospel. 
We see in the opening that Jesus is the one who teaches with an authority unlike anybody else has seen. Uh, he teaches in the synagogue, and they say, who is this, who is this man who teaches with such authority? But, but, but just in case we think that Jesus was just about a, a proclamation, a teaching that was only verbal, we see that he, he, he starts to minister and call and cast out demons. It seems that when Jesus says the kingdom has come near, he is not just saying it, but he's embodying it. He's doing it. He's living it. He is showing us the power of God at work within him to bring about that which the kingdom of God desires to do. Now Jesus takes the same power and authority out of the synagogue and he enters the home of Simon uh, and uh, his mother-in-law. Uh, I love the fact that that Jesus shows up everywhere in Mark's gospel. Uh, I love the fact that the power of God is not just demonstrated in the, in the exorcism of demons and, 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 and in the authority of his preaching, but that even when he enters the home of, of a family, there we too can perceive the power of God. This is just a side note, but I think we live as ones who believe God's power is only at work in certain places. Uh, I, I want to suggest to you that Mark's gospel and the gospels as a whole bears witness to this, that wherever Jesus goes, the reign of God, the power of God, the, 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 the kingdom of God has come near. <laughs> and so the kingdom of God comes near in the home uh, of this family. And, and I love what happens. You know, she's the, 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 the mother-in-law. I, I, I don't want to say anything about mother-in-laws. I'm going to get in trouble. But it's fascinating to me what happens in this particular setting. The Word of God says that, that Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. There's always this urgency, this edginess to Mark. Mark's immediate, things happen quickly. But there's something that is often lost within reading Mark too fast, is that Jesus does not seem to buckle to the urgency of everyone, but he has the time to do what he's been called to do. And he knows when to leave things. He knows when to move on. There seems to be this unique ability of Jesus to not let urgency set his agenda, but he also does not overstay his welcome. I don't know if that means anything other than it's just an observation out of Mark's gospel. And here we have the, 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 the reality of a woman that is sick. And here's what it says in verse 31. He came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. Now that phrase, lifted her up, elsewhere rendered in the English uh, versions of our Bible as uh, raised her, is a word that, that, that shows up throughout Mark's gospel. Uh, for example, in chapter 4, verse 41, there's a little girl who's died and Jesus enters the home and the Word of God says the girl is, he helps the girl to get up, the same verb. In chapter 9, verse 27, there is a boy that is so possessed by an evil spirit that it did him harm, throwing him into fire and to water. And it says that Jesus encounters the boy and takes him by the hand and does what? Lifts him up, raises him up. The same word is used at the end of Mark's gospel in chapter 16 to speak as witness to the resurrection of Jesus. You know, biblical scholars, you know, we can 
can get excited about a lot of stuff, but here's some things that we get excited about, is that when the Bible repeats the use of certain phrases, I think the gospel authors is often telling us something about what is happening on many levels. There is a sense in what, what that which happens in the home of Simon uh, is, 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 is interesting, not only because Jesus heals a woman from a fever, but it anticipates what Jesus would do himself, being raised from death to life, so that those whom he's come to love may live in a particular way. And then it says this, Simon's mother-in-law immediately began to serve. Now, again, the original language is helpful here. That word serve is a word that is imported in Mark's gospel. When Jesus is tempted in the, in the desert, the angels comes and serves him. When Jesus is teaching his disciples who he is, he says this, the Son of Man has come not to be served, but to serve. Yet, here we see that the woman that is restored raised, resurrected from her sickness, immediately begins to serve. Now, in the Western world, many of us would probably look at this and says, totally get the chauvinism of it all. A woman is sick, she's raised from a sickness, and immediately she's responsible for serving everybody else. But the reality in Mark's gospel is this, that those who experience the resurrecting power of God, those who encounter Jesus Christ, are restored to do what this woman demonstrates. In fact, this word serve is not applied to any other disciple in the gospel other than to Jesus, the angels, and this woman. And she becomes an example to us of what it means to participate in the kingdom of God. We are raised so that we would serve. We are liberated so that we would proclaim the hope of God. We are changed so that we would participate in that which God has called us to be. The resurrection community, the people of God, the church of God is raised from their sickness into life so that we would be those who serve the world with the hope of God. <sighs> you know that song, What the World Needs Now? Do you know the song? <sighs> Man, I either sang it terribly or you're just not old enough. Is love... Sweet love, you, you know the song? 1965. I think Bert Bacharach put together the music, but somebody else wrote it. I'm just trying to impress you with my musical knowledge. But what the world needs now is a church that has been raised to serve. Raised to life to serve a world that is hurting and divided. What the world needs now is a church that, that is raised so that the world might see who Christ is. What the world needs now is not 
uh, more uh, soapboxes to stand on, uh, is not more things that we are against, but what the world needs is those who have proclaimed the hope of Jesus Christ, the one who has saved us, the one in whom we've put our trust to become our example for life. Listen, it is Jesus at the Last Supper, so to speak, that dons the, the servant attire. He goes on his knees and he washes the feet of his disciples. In case you think this is a, a comment on the woman only, Jesus himself teaches his disciples that to serve is the way of the kingdom. And all that wants to be like him, he would say, must do the same thing. So let me ask you a question. How are you serving? Jesus says, I've come to serve, not to be served. And sometimes I feel that we live with this entitlement that others owe us service. Sometimes I think we live in such a way as to say, you know, you, you, I deserve more. Listen, the, the, the humility in serving God requires us to be at service for him in love to others. Jesus raised this woman to life to serve the world that is hurting and divided. How are you doing in your family, with your family, with your spouse, for those of us who are married, with your children? Is your past posture and your attitude that they must come to you and they must always do for you? You know, sometimes the the ways of the kingdom does not begin with what we do outside. It begins with how we live inside our homes. You know, what if God was to heal some of the things that you want him to heal you from? What if God was to resurrect you from some of the things that you were resurrected from? Unto which end would you live? You know, some of us have been praying for something for a long time, and, and, I, and I almost feel it's like the Apostle Paul who says, you know, remove the thorn, remove the thorn. But Jesus says, you know, oh, my grace is sufficient for thee. I, I wonder if God's speaking to some of us saying, you know, the things that you are worried about does not matter because it cannot keep you from what I have called you to do. I wonder if God is calling us, inviting us to start living as Jesus with the people around us. Statistics abound that says in this COVID time, uh, things inside the home is, is, is at an all-time high stress level. Uh, we are told that, that there is a lot happening in the home that is not pretty and not nice. And I wonder, I just wonder if, if perhaps, you know, we as the church can look right around our living room this morning, right within our homes, right with our children, with our spouses, with our friends, with our colleagues. If we can start to kind of just look at this and ask ourselves, do my life reflect this humility of service? Who am I waiting on to do for me? What expectations do I place on others? Or is there an invitation to, to, to don the, 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 the attire of a servant in our relationships? What would it look like to say, I have not come to be served, but to serve? But second to this, uh, the, the, the kingdom is about the service. We are raised to serve. But then Jesus models for us a, another significant aspect of it. And with this, I close. Jesus models for us the significance of prayer. Between the evening of healing and the busy day that lies ahead, Jesus seeks a deserted place, a place where he can be alone with God. 
uh, it's so important that we pause for a moment. It's easy to overlook that amidst all the serving that Jesus does, he prioritizes withdrawing to be alone with God. See, if you're going to participate in the kingdom work of God, it can't all just be output. It has to also be communion. It has to always be being present with the one who has given us life. But if you're like me, you ask a very practical question, why? Why would Jesus withdraw when the uh, ministry is going so well? <laughs> Why would Jesus withdraw when, when things are taken off? When people are coming to him, it says the whole town showed up at their home. <laughs> he describes for us in the word that is used to describe the urgency of the disciples is one that borders on hostility. They, 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 they are upset and they are like anxious. What on earth are you doing? <laughs> Why would you leave when everybody around you is crying out for your help and your ministry? Perhaps Jesus was fatigued and just needed to be by himself. Have you ever been there? Have you ever just been tired and you just need a break from people? Did I get an Amen. Uh, maybe, maybe Jesus just needed to kind of take a break. You know, raising the sick woman and exercising demons and healing all manner of illness, that might take its toll. That might be a, a busy season to need a break from. It could be that Jesus withdraws because the temptation to kind of just stay there and, and minister there might be great, and it might keep him from the mission that God has called him to, which he says is to go to neighboring towns and to proclaim there the hope of this good news also. Maybe Jesus withdraws to prepare himself for the work that comes his way. I don't know if we can really land on all that that particular act of Jesus means when he withdraws, but we do know this, that when he withdraws, it is not contrary to that for which he has come. In other words, Jesus can withdraw because the work of God that he is to fulfill will not be deterred by time spent with the Father in prayer. I want to make a point that I've made here over the years when I've preached on this text or similar text is that, you know, whatever Jesus do, we need to pay attention to. And perhaps a simple way of preaching this is when Jesus prays and sets that example, maybe we should pray. But many of us just kind of leave the conversation going, I should pray more. But I, I see here a Jesus that teaches us something about what it means to participate in the kingdom, that sometimes the urgency and the calls of others and the demands of life gets in the way of the one who centers us on our mission. Perhaps we need to see prayer differently. Maybe prayer is aligning us, reminding us of the mission that God has called us to in a world that will draw us away from that which God has called us to. What we do know is that when Jesus withdraws and prays and the disciples find him and say, what are you doing? He explains to them that the mission of God is to extend beyond this place to others. 
It is not that Jesus does not care about Capernaum. He's clearly showed his work of healing and restoration and casting out demons and raising the sick woman. But his message is not just for Capernaum. It is for all people. And so he prays and he goes. How busy are we? There, there, there seems to be this, this holding together in Mark's gospel between a, a life of prayer and a life of service. A life of prayer and a life of mission. I, I don't know if we can know when to stay and when to go without prayer. <laughs> I don't know if we can resist the, the urgency of others, the demands of others that might be detrimental to the calling of God upon our lives without prayer. You see, prayer is vital to participating in the kingdom of God. Jesus would demonstrate for us the centrality of prayer in his own life. And prayer is not something we do just to make God happy. It is something we need to do to do God's will. When is the last time our prayers brought clarity as to the will of God? When is the last time our prayers put other things in perspective and helped us to recenter ourselves on the kingdom and his hope for all of creation? When is the last time that our prayers moved beyond our wants and needs and prayed as Jesus has taught his disciples to pray that thy kingdom come and thy will be done? on earth as it is in heaven. <sighs> Service and prayer. These things go hand in hand. Those who serve in church ministry must be people of prayer. If we are to take Jesus seriously, then I would suggest to you, uh, if you're listening today, that, you know, whatever we need God to do for us, whatever healing or resurrection that he offers, is so that we would live in his great plan. And maybe it begins small. Maybe it begins with a relationship that is not going well. Maybe it begins through an act of forgiveness and seeking reconciliation. Maybe before we are able to really participate in the work of God, we need to allow Christ to heal us from our sickness. What do you need Him to do for you? I'm humbled by the Word of God because it always speaks to my heart. I'm humbled by the work of God in my life. And if you've heard the word today, then I ask you to join me in humility before his presence and to confess that which keeps us. Oh, the good news of Mark's gospel is that he has the power and the authority to cast out that which keeps people in bondage, whatever it is that keeps us. Christ has the power to liberate us. Come on now. <laughs> The power that is at work within him, he has given so that the church may do his work. I want to invite you this 
morning as I close to reflect upon the words of God in the scriptures that have just been read. Jesus said that the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. And he is the one that taught his disciples how to pray so that we may know how to live well. And so I invite you to pray the Lord's Prayer with me. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.